Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. Amen. We indeed owe a debt of gratitude to those men and women that wear the uniform, those who have worn it, I think, today, and I echo what I've heard other pastors say, and I want to say this today as well, that we owe a special debt of gratitude to those men who came home from Vietnam that did not get the proper welcome into our country for various reasons. So if you're here today and you're a Vietnam vet, I want to say a very special, long overdue thank you from the bottom of our heart for what you've done. In fact, I submit to you that it is the veteran, not the preacher, who has given us the freedom of religion. It is the veteran and not the reporter who has given us the freedom of press. It is the veteran, not the poet, who has given us the freedom of speech. It is the veteran and not the campus organizer who has given us the right to assemble. And it is the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us right to a fair trial. It is the veteran and not the politician who has given us the sacred right to vote. And it is the veteran who salutes this flag and who serves under it. Thank you to our veterans. What is the veteran? What is his mandate? What is it that makes a man or a woman leave his home, walking away into a foreign land to forsake the comforts of home, the comforts of having an opinion, the comforts of seeing your child born, the comforts that you and I experience every day? I submit to you this morning that it takes a special man or woman that can stand watch while we have the liberties and the freedom that we have here today. In fact, I, I begin to look into that mandate. What is that mandate? We, we, we look and see what it is that, that prompts them to go forward, that prompts them to say, I will go, I will refuse sleep, I will be deprived of food, I will not see my loved one. What is the mandate of that man and woman that stands watch over this red, white, and blue? In fact, it's simple. It's an oath that each one of the men and women who you saw a moment ago, each one of them took. In 1987, February the 2nd, I took that oath. And the oath goes something like this. I, Mark Lanier Pritchett, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the officers who appointed over me according to law and regulations in accordance with the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And don't miss this, so help me God. That is the mandate. That is the thing that a man or woman who stands before this flag salutes it and takes that oath, that promise to uphold what men and women many years ago wrote in pencil, wrote in pen and signed, saying this is our declaration for a new nation. It gives us rights. It gives us what the, the Constitution calls inalienable rights. The right for you and your children to pursue happiness. The right to vote. The right to live in a free country, in a free nation. Someone stood watch and someone stands watch today. That is their mandate. But I want you to know today that there is a distinct parallel between the veteran of the United States military and that of the child of the Most High God, a Christian. In fact, if you have your Bibles today, I want to show you three things that I believe parallel the veteran and the Christian. As we honor our veterans today, I want you to turn to your Bibles with me in John's, John's Gospel, chapter 15. 
going to read one simple verse. But I believe it to be the epitome of John's gospel. Remember, of course, there's four gospels as you're turning. Matthew, of course, writing the gospel, showing Jesus in the kingship, the lineage. Mark speaks, of course, of the servant of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became our sin that you and I may be made the righteousness of God. Though he could have called us servant, he didn't. He called us friend and he came to serve us in his humanity. Luke, of course, speaks of, of his manhood. That though he was fully God, he was fully man. And then, of course, John's gospel speaks directly to the majesty of God not containing any parables, not containing any healings of lepers, getting straight to the crux of the matter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became God and became flesh and dwelt among us. The majesty of God. In chapter 15 of John's Gospel, we begin to see the story of the, of the vine. Jesus being the vine and you and I being the branches, and he speaks through some, some 15 or 20 verses speaking to that point, saying that if you abide in me and I in you, there is nothing you can't do, but if you're not abiding in me, you can do nothing. In John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 13, one of the most profound verses of Scripture in, in that entire book, where John says, greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friend. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. Everything in the word of God hinges on that word love. You see, it's Jesus who said the greatest of the commandments is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, he said, is like unto it to love your neighbor as yourself. It is the, the premise for the gospel. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, shall, aren't you glad you're a whosoever today? Whosoever shall believe upon him shall never perish but have eternal everlasting life. It is also that measure by which Jesus says, you can tell if you're my disciple, if you're learned in me, if you're walking with me, not because you you're a church member, not because you're a Sunday school teacher, not because you're a pastor, and not even because you're a veteran. He says, you know how you can tell if you're my disciple is based upon how you love one another. It's all about love. Greater love has no love, no, no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friend. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus today, I pray that you would help me to rightly divide your word of truth, to make application in a manner that we would leave out of here today, God, more equipped than when we came in. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray and everyone says amen. The veteran, closely likened to that of the child of God. I, I remember when I had almost 15 years in the army, promotions and things were right in front of me. And I remember the day riding home from Fort Benning. I was actually a recruiter, so I'd heard that. That speak many, many times as those young men and women raised their hand and took that oath, that mandate to stand watch. And I remember God called me to preach. And I was riding home from Fort Benning and I remember him speaking into my heart and he said, you're leaving one act of being a soldier and you're going into another. Because this is a fight we're in, folks. This is a fight. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, the apostle Paul, he says, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my course, and the time of my departure is now at hand. Here's the reality. If there's a good fight, I want you to hear me today, church member, child of the Most High God. If there's a good fight of faith, and I submit to you, then there's a bad fight of faith. 
Many of us are going from pillar to post, running crazy, never having that peace of God that passes understanding. And I submit to you today that if we would move all the stuff off the table that we put in front of us that say this is what it looks like to be a child of God and get back to that mandate, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friend. I'll give you three points of reference this morning. Who is a veteran and what is his mandate? What makes a veteran? Number one, if you're taking notes, he is willing to obey the commander. A blowhard Air Force major was promoted to colonel with his new office and all of his self-piety. The first morning he was in his new office and one of the airmen knocked on the door and asked to speak to him. The colonel now, feeling the urge to impress this young airman, picked up the phone and says, Yes, General, thank you. I will pass this information on to the president this afternoon when I have conference call with him. Goodbye, sir. Turned to the young airman and said, What do you want, young man? He said, Sir, I just came to hook up your phone. You know, there's some people who are an authority. And there's some people who just want to be an authority. You see, for the soldier, it may be a sergeant. It may be a lieutenant. It may be a captain or a major. Maybe a lieutenant colonel. Maybe a full bird colonel. Maybe a one-two or maybe even ultimately a four-star general. But every soldier knows one thing. Like it or not, and I really emphasize that. Like it or not, they look to one supreme authority over the United States military, and that is their commander-in-chief, the president of the United States. But you know, it's not really that much different for us in the kingdom. We may look to a small group leader. We may look to a, to a women's leader. We may look to a youth pastor. We may look for some accountability partner, some confidant, someone we can call on that we look to as an authority in our life. We may look to a pastor. In fact, this morning I spent the first hours we were over at 8.30. We went over to Rock Springs Church to honor a pastor, uh, Dr. Benny Tate. Many of you know him. Most people in the world know him. And I went over there because it was his 25th anniversary for being at Rock Springs. It was his 30th anniversary being married to Barbara, his wife. And it was his 50th birthday. And so they celebrate, and I think that's amazing that a church would do that. And we wanted to go over there and honor him. Any of you know that he speaks into my life? I, I would call him a pastor to pastor. He, he's a man who is an authority in my life, not because he's figured it all out, but because he takes time to have a kingdom mandate to help other men pick up their heads and move forward in their own cause for Christ. But I submit to you this morning that I am not your ultimate authority. Benny Tate is not my ultimate authority. Billy Graham is not your and my ultimate authority. The ultimate authority in our life is King Jesus and his precious word. That is our mandate. That is what we use to go forward. That is upon which we build our faith. Why do you say that, Mark? Because here's the reality. And I was having a conversation with somebody last week, and I know Steve McGuire had been a pastor long, long, long before me. Steve sat in my office the other day, and watch this. I am Steve McGuire's pastor, but Steve McGuire realizes that I'm still teachable, and he sat in my office the other day, and he shared some truths with me, and he poured into me. Why? Because at the end of the day, I'm not your authority. This is your authority, and you must stand on it. And here's the truth, guys. When somebody stands before you, whether it's teaching a small group, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a televangelist, if it doesn't line up with this book, run. Run. Because this is our authority. When you look at authorities and commanders, you realize there are some things that we give up. It's interesting to know that as we look into this, this mandate, this oath, 
we see that even atheists take this same oath. Isn't that interesting? However, I heard in the last few weeks that the Air Force has dropped that final wording, so help me God. Did you read about that? Pray for him. Pray for the commander of the United States Air Force. As, as it stands right now, the Marine Corps, the Army, the Navy, and even the Coast Guard still take that same mandate, so help me God. Why? I'll tell you why. Some of you have. I know Sam Beatty has. Some of you guys, you have been in places where bullets are flying. And there's an old saying, there are no atheists in any foxhole. Once the bullets start flying, everybody wants to find the chaplain. Why? Because they all come back to that point of reference. You say, Mark, why do you make this point? Because an atheist says there is no God. And when the bullets start flying, the first thing he does is, hey, brother, will you pray for me? Why? Because then it becomes real. Hey, guess what, Jay? We're the same way in the, in, the, in the house of God. Do you know when the church will truly turn to a holy God? When all hell breaks loose in your home. In fact, I submit to you this way. That if, if we had another scenario like we did in the World Trade Towers, watch what happened. This church, every church in Upson County, and almost every church in this great nation would be overfilling with people trying to get in. Many of you read the book, 1984. How many of you read that book, 1984. How many of you were a little scared during the Cold War, a little freaked out, a little afraid that Big Brother was watching and somebody was just a spear missile right over here and obliterate us all and melt our eyes in our sockets? Y'all remember that? And then the teachers would have you go sit in the hall and put your head between their legs. I don't know if that was going to do a lot of good, but God bless the teachers. And I remember being afraid of that. Can I tell you something? I was talking with a friend uh, this week uh, over at McDonald's. We were sitting down talking, and, you know, and he says this often. He says, you know, I'm just ready for Jesus to come back. Where, do, where are you on that today? I know if you're a young person, you're like me. You're like, hey, I really want him to come back, but not tonight. Because you want to get married. You want to have a family. You want to you go to prom. You want to do all these things. Can I tell you something? Jesus is better than any prom, any wedding, any situation. I'm ready. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But we're going to endure some affliction. 2 Timothy in chapter 2 and 3 and 4 says, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers, listen to this. Don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Shortly after joining the Navy, a young Navy man said, Sergeant, drill sergeant, whatever the case was, he said, I have a wedding to go to this Sunday. It starts at 4 o'clock. I need a pass. He said, okay, you can go. But you got to be back by 7 p.m. at last call. He says, you don't understand. I'm in the wedding. He said, no, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. You see, when you give yourself over and you sign your name, having taken that oath, you belong to Uncle Sam. That is your mandate. But hear me. Hear me. Don't miss this. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become a soldier in the army of God. And many of you may say it this way. Mark, I don't really know if I want to give up all that. Oh, oh, but let me tell you. Let me tell you something. What you might think you're giving up, you're going to gain 10, 100, 1,000 fold in the form of a peace that passes understanding. The Bible says, what shall a man profit? Shall he gain the whole world, yet he loses his own soul? Let's flip that around. What is there in this world that is valuable for me not to get all that God has me to get. Ashley sang that song a minute ago, Oceans, written, of course, by Matt Crocker and Joel Houston of Hillsong United, sang by Taya Smith, incredible, incredible people. 
And as I hear that song, man, I, I don't know about you sometimes. I, I just want to do that. I mean, I had thought about it. I know it won't work. I thought about just walking right over there to Brooke, just slap you a high five and never miss a beat. You know why? Because I believe that if Jesus called me to walk on water, if he called me to walk on air, if he called Jonah to go in the belly of the whale, if he called Jonah to swallow the whale, let me tell you something. He which has called you will also do it. That's my mandate is they obey the commander. Secondly, not only do they obey a commander, they're willing to engage the enemy. My father was a huge boxing fan, and we used to follow the likes of Joe Lewis and watching old videos of people like Frazier, and his favorite was Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, the greatest fighter in the world. If you didn't believe him, just ask him. He'll tell you. Joe Lewis was a heavyweight boxing champion in 1934 and successfully defended his championship 25 times over a 15-year period. The sports voice of those days was Bill Stern. And he asked Joe, how have you been able to knock out your opponent so quickly in almost every fight? After a few moments of thinking, he said, it's very simple. Two things. First, I study my opponent until I know him better than he knows himself. And then secondly, when he drops his arm, I take him out. Simple strategy. But let me say this to you. The oath, the mandate that every soldier takes says this, that I will support and defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic. There are problems, Sam, that we have to deal with here at home as a soldier. And there are problems that we have to deal with on a foreign soil. Can I say something to you? It's absolutely the same for the child of God. We got problems in our home. We got problems in our school. We got problems in our state. We got problems in our nation. And there are problems abroad. But when I take this mandate that I'm going to engage the enemy, the reality is this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 said, Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, we are not ignorant of his devices. Here's the reality. The only way that you can know that Satan is throwing to you as a lie, bless you, is that you know the truth. His name is Jesus. In fact, if you study counterfeiters that work for the U.S. Department of Treasury, you'll find out that they take counterfeit money. No, they don't. They never study counterfeit. You know what they do? They take real bills and they study them and they feel of them and they look at the watermarks and they look at the reflection. They look at the thickness of the paper. They feel it. And they will tell you the way that I can find out what's counterfeit is because I know the truth that well. I submit to you the only way you're going to know what's true and what's a lie is by knowing this book. And you know what? You're not going to get this just on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. you got to put yourself in it. God told the children of Israel through Moses, he said, when the manna falls from heaven, which was the picture of the bread of life, Jesus, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get you enough each day for that day. The next day I want you to get up and I want you to go get the manna and I want you to take of that manna just enough for the day. And, and they're like us today. You know what they did? They went out and they gathered up enough for three or four or five days because what they felt they would do is they would just eat enough or gather enough and then they could play around the rest of the time. The Bible says that when they gathered it together and put it in their bags, when they opened it, it had spoiled. It had decay and maggots and bugs in it. But we do the same thing with the Word of God. We come to church and we, we get the Word. We may go back to a small group, a community group. We may go into a women's group or a men's study. Or, or, or heaven help us if we go back to Wednesday night as we open up the scriptures and, and teach from the scriptures. And David with youth. And we, we try to pour into you. But understand something. If you're not feeding yourself at home, you're not going to be fed. 
You're not going to be full. And if you're not full, you're not going to be pouring it out. And here's the reality. The only weapon that I have, according to Ephesians chapter 6, is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Everything else in that arsenal, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, uh, having my loins girt about with truth, my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of, the, of peace, all of those things that I have are defensive warfare measures. This is the only offensive weapon I have. And I want you to know there's not one single piece of armament that protects your back because God has never called you to turn around in the face of the enemy. The Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Don't you dare let Satan lie to you and think he's stronger more powerful, or he can demean you. You are a child of the Most High God, but you got to go with the sword of the Spirit. you got to be willing to engage the enemy. And see, here's the thing. The U.S. soldier not only studies the weaponry and shoots the weaponry of the U.S. arsenal, every soldier in this room has been exposed to, has studied, has had to learn enemy vehicles, enemy weaponry, all of those things, enemy tactics. Why? Because you're only as good as, as you know about your enemy. Listen, we know how to shoot our weapon. We know how to, to, to get in line. We know how to do these things. We can be deprived. The U.S. soldier is the most successful soldier on the battlefield because he not only knows his stuff, he knows his foe. Can I tell you something? You better recognize that the enemy's devices are out to destroy your life. But can I say this to you? There's nothing new under the sun, the Ecclesiastes writer says. There's not a thing in the world that he's going to throw at you that he hasn't already thrown at somebody in the Word of God. Do you know why he threw the one thing at King David, which was Bathsheba, and, and a life of promiscuity, the one thing that he knew would cause him to fall? Do you know why men, everybody look at me, men. Man, look at me. Do you know why Satan keeps using the same weaponry as, as a beautiful woman or something like pornography? I'm going to tell you why. Because it works. But if you know it's there, you can combat it. You can engage the enemy. How, how many of y'all saw the movie? Oh, gosh, it just lost me. The one with Kirk Cameron where he was addicted to pornography. Fireproof, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I mean, I remember the, the part where he, he was battling that, that, that computer. That, the computer wasn't his enemy. He was his enemy. His flesh was his enemy. But he would walk by, even when he purposed in his heart to not fall to that stinking junk on the computer, the pornography, he would walk by, and there was a flashing boom, 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 like that, and it got his attention, and he goes and sits down. I don't know if you really got this or not, but he was struggling. Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do those things. The things that I don't want to do, that's the things I find myself doing. The Apostle Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, had dealings with, with flesh and had dealings with spiritual warfare. And so did that man in that movie in Fireproof. And he looked, and there's an urgency, and there's a woman saying, check out my pictures. And he goes, and then he what? He takes it, and he rips it out of the wall and goes outside and starts beating it to death with a bat. And the old couple's next to him go, that dude is crazy. Let me tell you something. If you got to beat up your computer, if you got to cut off your cell phone, if you got to break an iPad to walk in the truth of who Christ is in your life to be the man, the husband, and the father that God's called you to be, then so be it. You need to engage the enemy. The real enemy, which is Satan attacking your flesh. Thank you. In fact, if you look into the Vietnam War era, I don't know, I know Sam was, was an infantryman, so I don't know, I know Josh, uh, Josh Cantrell. Good to see you, brother. He was a Marine, MP. I remember when we went through weapons training in 1987, 
they were transitioning the M1, uh, M16 M1, which was a, a fully automatic. What that means in short is you would pull the trigger and that joker knew what to do. It would shoot. However many rounds you had in there, that's what it was spitting off. They transitioned it to an A2. And it came with a three-round burst selection on it. No longer was it fully automatic. And here's what military intelligence was saying to the soldier from the Vietnam era to the current time. Is you need to be a little bit more intentional about those weapons, that, that round going down range. Here's what they're really saying. You need to know what you're shooting at. I know you're afraid, young man. I know when you got over there, you were terrified and you didn't even know who the enemy was because nobody understood in Vietnam who they were even fighting. All they knew is in the daytime, some little kid would walk in, they would feed them, they would take care of them, they'd give them an MRE, and at night, that same kid would walk in with a Claymore mine strapped to him, walk in a tent and blow everybody up. My uncle fought in Vietnam, changed his mind, blew his mind. He was never the same after Vietnam. He had to kill a young girl one time because he recognized that she was bringing in two different um, uh, minds, if you will, tapped to her body. He had to kill her. He took that to his grave. Man, these men, these men didn't know who they were fighting. But I want to tell you something. You and I are the same way, man. The Bible says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. Get in your mind right here for just a moment. Who right now is someone that just, and I don't want anyone to shout out loud or anything, but somebody that just, can I buy a vowel? I can't even think of a word. Somebody that just, mm, just stirs you the wrong way. Everybody, everybody got somebody in mind. Somebody that just, I mean, you don't, you don't want them to die. But you wouldn't mind them falling down some steps. In Jesus' name. Everybody got somebody in mind now? Yeah, now, yo, oh, oh, that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, of course, Mark, I don't want them to die. But you know, Mark, they might be saved. Maybe they go to heaven. I don't know. But anyway, you know, you know that person that just rubs you the wrong way. They're not your enemy. They are not your enemy. The person that's hurt you, it's not your enemy. Maybe that ex-spouse who broke your heart, broke your bank account, broke your spirit, broke your confidence and walked out, they're not your enemy. Let me say this loud and clear. That church across town, that church across state, that church out there, they don't think like, preach like, act like, sing like, worship like you do. They aren't your enemy. Man, they are your fellow comrade. Listen, how many Marines in the house? All right, y'all, let's do that again. Let's do really what Marines do when I ask that question because every one of you know what you're supposed to do when I ask that. How many Marines in the house? You know, whatever. All right. Every Marine knows that Army guys and Marine guys have this. What do you call it, Sam? Can I get a word that's friendly? Grudgery. What do you call it? What is it? Opinion? <laughs> I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's just all in fun competition, but every, every Marine knows that. Every Army soldier knows that. It's also to some degree between Air Force and Navy and whatnot. But, but all that, in, in matter of fact, uh, the Marine Corps don't even have their own organization. They're part of the Navy. But anyway, I, you know, I, I think there's this grudgery. I'm only kidding. I got three Marines looking at me going, I'll take you out, man. But check it out. I've trained with them. I've trained with Marines. 
They're good at what they do. They don't do what we do. The Air Force don't do what we do. The Navy don't do what we do. Everybody has their place. But can I tell you something? When true war breaks out, we need each other. And you put all those petty, competitive, silly differences aside. It's time the church would rise up and join aside somebody, Bill, that you don't agree with when they stand in that pulpit and say, hey, man, but I know you're fighting the same stinking battle I am. Let's, let's, last week I said, let's attack heaven with a water pistol. I misspoke that, so let me say it right this week. We need to join hands with every other, every other man, woman, boy, or girl, pastor, whether we agree, whether we disagree, color, doesn't matter. Join hands with them and say, hey, man, let's attack hell with a water pistol. Let's engage the enemy. So not only do they obey the commander, but they're not afraid to engage the enemy as the band comes. They're willing to fight to the end. Let me say that again, church. Hear me. Mark, I thought you were talking about veterans. I am. I am. Some of the greatest stories I've ever read are those men and a few women who have received the Medal of Honor. For going beyond the call of duty to a selfless act. So much so that they're willing to put their own life on the line. Just at that moment, not just their mandate, that they're willing to stand up in the face of adversity to leave home, to leave, to leave sleep, to leave food, to leave mama, daddy. Some of which never came home. What's so amazing about these men that just floors me every time I read one of these citations is to see that they even would have thrown their life on a grenade for one of their fellow soldiers. The U.S. soldier is the greatest on the battlefield because he knows that there's a fight to make and there's an end in sight. And that end is when The battle is over. Not until the last one comes home. 1,649 men still unaccounted for in just Southeast Asia alone. 78,000 out of World War II. Most are at the bottom of the ocean. Still locked in the death trap of a vessel. The hull of a ship. Nearly 80,000 men Never got to have a proper burial. 1,385,712 Americans have lost their life fighting on a battlefield, whether here or abroad, since the American Revolution. Almost 1.5 million. Why? I've shared with you their mandate. For the army soldier, the first two days of basic training, he learns three general orders. The first one is, I will guard everything within the limits of my post. And I will quit my post only when properly relieved. Matthew 24 and 12 says this to you, child of God. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Twelve apostles, according to history. Some they have direct accounts, some they don't. 
probably one of the greatest testaments to who Jesus really was was when you look into the life of a man named Peter who right at the end, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he didn't buy it, did he? He didn't buy it. How do you know that, Mark? Because on the night, Robbie, that he was to be crucified, taken away, people come up to him and said, hey, you were with him. (laughs) I wasn't with him. You got the wrong guy. No, no, no. No, I saw you walking down the streets with him. I don't know this man. Oh, no, no. I saw you when he was teaching at the temple. The Bible says that on the third time, Peter cursed and denied Christ. However, just some 50 days later, Peter would rise up to be the pillar of the church. And would preach 3,000 added to the church in one day. One sermon. That's pretty good church growth. Another 5,000 over here. In so much that one, one point in time in the book of Acts, the Bible says that Peter, who denied Christ, walked down the road. And the Bible says that they brought their sick and dying out to the porches just so Peter's shadow could hit them and they would rise up and walk. What would take a man in 50 days? from a decliner to admit that he was a child of God walked with Jesus to the point where Josephus says that when he went out to be martyred and crucified that he walked out and he saw that cross and he said I refuse to be crucified like my Savior crucified me upside down I'll tell you what it was he saw Jesus resurrected He saw Jesus eating fish after he had been dead, buried, and raised again. He walked with him. Every one of these men, John faced martyrdom. He was bored, bold in a huge basin. He lived miraculously, was imprisoned in Patmos, wrote the book of Revelation. The only disciple to die of normal, peaceable death was the apostle John. James, the brother of Jesus, not officially an apostle, apostle was a leader of the church of Jerusalem, was thrown from a southeast pinnacle of the temple over 100 feet down, refused to deny his faith in Christ, his brother. When they discovered that he had survived, they came down and they beat him to death with a club. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was martyred for preaching the gospel in Armenia. And then he was flayed to death with a whip, the skin literally torn from his flesh, never denying Christ. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece after being whipped severely by seven soldiers, tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led away to the cross, Andrew saluted these words. I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of my Savior while he hung on it and died for me. Historian says that Andrew continued to preach to his tormentors to repent before his death two days later. The apostle Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary journeys. Doubting Thomas, church, doubting Thomas died doing the bidding of a holy God. The Apostle Paul 
while sitting in a Roman prison, writing at least five letters to a church, to people. He's tortured, beaten, and ultimately died from a beheading at the hand of Nero. In closing, John Stuart Mill, a philosopher from London who died in 1873, said these words. War is an ugly thing, but it's not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling is much worse. The decay and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling is much worse. The person who has nothing for which he is willing to fight and die for is a miserable cancer. What are you living for, church? And are you willing to die for it? The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he said these words, I beseech you, brethren, I urge you. I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. A living sacrifice. He's not asking you to die for him. He just wants you to live for him. He said that is your reasonable service. The veteran obeyed the commander. Thank God he engaged the enemy thankful more that he fought till the war was over what about you today every head bowed and every eye closed you could say Mark I, um, I'm not sure that if I died today that I would go to heaven I got some things uncertain in my life I'm not sure if I'd go to heaven if I died right now I wonder would you be so bold just to lift your hand up right here right now no one's looking just lift your hand up say Mark I'm not sure those hands are going up come on lift them up real quickly God bless you What are you waiting for? Maybe you just pray a simple prayer of faith. Let it become your mandate. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. And a gift, my friend, is something that you don't work for yourself. It's something you receive out of love. To as many as received him, he gave the power to become a son of God. Would you call on him right now, right where you sit? this very special beautiful day would you call on him right here and right now and say dear God in heaven I admit to you that I'm a sinner I believe in Jesus Christ I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life Jesus save me help me to live for you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed we have men and women standing out front If you prayed that prayer in faith, the Bible says you've been born again. The greatest day of your life. I wonder, would you just be so bold without any hesitation? Not going to come to you, not going to point you out, but we lift your hand right now. Just lift it up and say, yeah, Pastor Mark, I prayed and asked Jesus Christ. God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? Hold them up. God bless you, ma'am. And you, ma'am. Anybody else? Just hold it up high. Hold it up high. God bless you, sir. And you little one, God bless you. At least six or seven hands went up. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not asking you to join the church, but if you prayed and asked Jesus Christ into your heart right now, without hesitation, without thought, without debate, I want you to get up out of your seat and come down here and let one of these folks just pray with you. That's all they're doing, just to pray with you. Just take one step. I promise Jesus will take the other one for you. God bless you. You're coming. God bless you, ma'am. Would you come? Just come right now. Y'all give them a hand. Come on, encourage them. Come on. God bless you, young man. Stephanie. 
about the rest of you? Final question before we sing. Have you signed up for the Lord's army? There's a statue of a man at Fort Benning, Georgia. His name is Iron Mike. The code of the United States Army Infantry School is pick up your weapon and follow me. How many of you today will pick up your weapon and not follow me, but follow Jesus? Hold your arm up. Hold your hand up. How many of you will pick up your weapon and let's say, hey, not in my watch. No more are people going to die as they pass by me and go to hell. I want to share my Hold your arm up. Hold it up. Say, I'll do that. I'll pick up my weapon, Mark. See, that's our mandate. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Maybe God's calling you to be a part of Northridge Church. Say, Mark, what does that mean? It just means you're part of our family, part of our fellowship, a part of this particular company, if you will. The doors of our church stand open. If you and your family feel compelled to do so today, I want you to come now. I'm going to stand down front. But maybe you waved your hand a moment ago and you said, yeah, but you haven't picked up your weapon thus far. Why don't you come bring your family? Come pray at this altar. Whatever God's calling you to do right now, I'm going to stand right here. If it just means coming down, shaking my hand, slapping a high five, turning and walking off, all you're doing is saying, I got what God wanted me to have today. While they sing, would you do that? Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com.